Welcome to this episode of Tea with Triggy. It's great to have you here. This is a podcast where I catch up with friends and people that I find fascinating. I check that they're doing okay and ask for tips to help our stay at home more comfortable. My guest this week is one of Britain's most talented and versatile actors who has turned his hand to everything from Shakespeare to sitcoms. He's won a BAFTA, a Tony and multiple Olivier Awards, starred in Hollywood movies and some of my favourite British comedies. You might know him best as Ben Harper from My Family. I'm delighted to be having a cup of tea with the fabulous Robert Lindsay. Robert Lindsay, hello. I love the way you said that. That was a bit sultry for you, Twigs. It can be very funny. Robert Lindsay, hello. Robert Lindsay. Ding Thank dong. I wish we were having property together. but Well, we will. You know, let's be will. optimistic. It won't be. I don't think it's going to last that long. Or, I, or will so. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway. anyway, what's your tipple today? I've got the South African tea. Rubos, isn't it called? Well, I rather like that tea. Have you seen the gag where they're, they're drinking tea like this on screen, on Zoom mm. or something? And then they have a tea bag hanging over the the cup, but it's yeah. full of red wine. So, so people think they're drinking tea. This is the thing of Zoom, and of course, none nobody's wearing trousers on Zoom either. You know, they're all semi naked and drinking white red wine and getting sozzled in the, in the. Well, the first two weeks of lockdown, I got very down about the whole thing. Because of, you know, my son's in A-levels and I was in the wow. middle of a production that was has been shelved and and I went into a bit of a downer. So I started drinking a bit and finding myself drinking at four in the afternoon and <laughs> really weird, thing, you know, things I, I've never really done. And I'm waking up in the mornings thinking I've got the dreaded COVID-19 and my wife had to keep reminding me I had a hangover. I know what you mean. What were you in the middle of doing? Were you shooting something? I just finished the play that I talked to you about last year about the cinematographer Jack Cardiff, mm -hmm. which has now been developed into a movie, Ooh, which is very exciting. exciting. And um, the script at the moment is with um, a gentleman called Martin Scorsese. Wow. Uh, who was a huge wow. fan of, of Jack Cardiff, you know, and, yeah. and wrote, he wrote the foreword to the book that the play is based on. Um, it, it's a fantastic story, Twigs, and you never did come and see it. And I um, Well, I, I had to hold on a minute. You were going to tell us true. when you were in Richmond and you forgot. No, I did. You forgot did about forget. me, Bob. You forgot. No, I did. I, I got... But, you we were in went. the middle of all sorts of things as well. You were in the middle of moving home and stuff know, like that. So, yes. But oh, I'm really you... upset we missed it. Well, we'll have to go. We'll, well you may not. But I think now because of this dreaded disease, um, I can't see theatre opening for a very long time, which I is, um, I mean, it's it's awful for our profession, really. It um, is terrible for, for, well, for I was going to say for young actors, but for all actors. Well, you know, got yeah, I mean, I've got kids, friends of mine who've just left drama school, you know, and your normal procedure, of course, is you get an agent and then you yeah. join equity and then you go into rep and you do your thing and, and all those things are not going to happen. 
um, I've just recorded something for the Northcott Theatre in Exeter, which was my first job when I left drama school. And ironically, would you believe, Twigs, it was a play called Roses of Eam. And Eam is a village in Derbyshire which had Mm -hmm. the plague. And I've just recorded a speech from it, which I think we're going to put out on social media. It's the most incredible speech. Uh, John Nettles played it in the play we did in Exeter. We then televised it. But he persuades the villagers to stay in the village and they put a circle of stones around the village. And he made them stay and said, listen, the plague is only here. But if you leave this village, you'll take the plague with you. It's in every pore of your skin, every fold of every touch of piece of your hair. And he persuades them to stay. And of course, quite a few of them died. And that's where Ring a Ring a Roses, A Pocket Full of Poses come from. A tissue, a tissue, we all fall down. That's where the song comes from. Yeah, I knew it was about the plague, but I didn't know it was from that story and that's an incredible story because the the tailor and the house is still there in eam um which is a village about 20 miles from where i was born so i I used to go you were born from uh, well i was born in ilkeston in derbyshire which is about 20 30 miles from eam itself so i used to bike ride there a lot as a kid and it's a spooky place is it i mean well yeah because they're all plague cottages they're all as in as the as it was at the time and uh, it was a tailor who received a, a, a trunk of clothing from London, which contained the plague. And of course, it just spread like wildfire. Oh, my goodness. But how weird that I did that 50 years ago at the Northcott. And yeah. um, here it is again. Unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, it, and it, it just suddenly hit us all, didn't it? Last time I saw you was at your birthday. And um, we, my birthday, I'd had mine a few months. So I'm a little bit older than you, but we're born the same well, year. You see, this is we were talking about that this morning, and you see, you've been going a lot longer than me because when you we were both teenagers, mm-hmm. I was a pimply schoolboy, <laughs> and you were a global superstar. <laughs> And that's why I can never work out how you're older than me or at the same age as me. It I, I would have thought you'd be ancient by I'd now. Say, <laughs> <laughs> well, I am pretty ancient, but... Um, you certainly aren't, my darling. Oh, well, thank you. But, um, you know, you've got to remember what happened to me. I was really young. I was 16 when that all I know. madness I know. happened. In fact, my 16-year-old just walked through the room at the moment. He was the same age. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you... I mean, it's what an extraordinary story, really. Well, it shouldn't have happened, age. really. I mean, I was as shocked as the rest of the world. <laughs> I thought they'd all gone mad. But Because, um, I go. mean, you're, you're just a kid. Oh, I was... In and, your head. Yeah, and I was a very... I mean, I'm not like... I wasn't like the sophisticated 16-year-olds there are today. I was so, you know, in those, this was in the, you know, mid-60s, which I know was meant to be swinging, but I, you know, I I was in Neasden in northwest London. I was not swinging. No, Neasden was not swinging, darling, (laughs) was it? You weren't swinging in Neasden. There's a a book. (laughs) That's a good title. (laughs) Swinging in Neasden. So you know it was mad, it was madness, but and you know, and it just when it happened, it just kept ro- you know rolling over and over, and I, you know I had no control over it really. I mean, it was great, I loved it. Did you do exams then? 
No, I was in the middle of what we then called O-levels. Which was GC... No, uh, CSEs. Yeah, CSEs. They weren't, they weren't yeah. GCSEs. No, I was in mid- And I actually loved school. I was ready to carry on. I wanted to go to art school. I wanted to become a designer. I wanted to be a dress designer. Well, you are. Well, I am now, but I wanted to do it when I was <laughs> 17. I didn't have what happened to me in my head, you know. So what was the first time it happened? What, what was it? Was it the famous portrait of you? Or, or? Um, yeah, I think so. It was the haircut. And, you know, somebody saw me. Somebody wanted to take a picture. They sent me to have my hair done. Leonard cut my hair and that was it. A fashion journalist saw the picture. And, um, and I was Bob's painting my eyes in that way because, you know, all girls play with makeup. And I had a rag doll that had all painted eyes. And, um, and and what what happened to your friends? Well, it was weird. Yeah, I kind of I I lost them because within three months I was in Paris, within eight months I was in New York. I know it was weird, wouldn't it? Weird, weird, weird. And actually, when they did, it wasn't "This Is Your Life." It was one of those where they get people back to meet you, and I hadn't seen any of them for. 40 odd years and they got oh them all God. back it was weird that is weird isn't it i'm not sure i don't, i like reunions that much bit strange i had no control over it because they did it but um but how old were you when i mean do, you 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 got into rada didn't you rada yeah but no i was 16 when i left school uh-huh i was at a secondary modern school i failed my 11 plus oh i passed mine darling yeah, I thought you might in Neasden. Um, but <laughs> I was meant to pass my 11 plus because I was actually quite a bright boy at my junior school. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, no one told me I was taking the 11 plus. I just turned up one morning and there were pencils on my desk and some paper. So I was a bit misty. I thought, oh, what's going on? And... Um, Anyway, I failed. And I went to a secondary modern school, which was a very tough, rough school called Gladstone Boys. It had a very notorious uh, reputation for bullying and, and, and it was it was a tough old place. In fact, the, the school uh, uniform was a leather jacket and a bike chain. Oh! <laughs> if I can give you some idea of what it was like. So and that was the, the mid, you know, the 50s. No, yeah, the beginning of the 60s. But there was an amazing man there called John Lally, who was my art teacher. He he eventually became the headmaster, and he started this thing called the Grand Order of Thespians, which was quite an achievement to uh, organise in a school of thugs. Um, Because everyone wanted to be James Dean at that time, and, and, um, you know, and Hell's, not Hell's Angels, whatever they, rockers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, literally, people used to turn up in leather jackets. I mean, that was... Anyway, John started this organisation called Grand Order Thespians and we started putting on plays. And he got everyone involved. He got everyone doing the, 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 the maths, doing the box office, the maths department, the makeup, and, uh, the metalwork and woodwork department, making the sets. And, of course, I was cast as the lead role in the first play ever called The Pied Piper. That was my first ever <laughs> performance on stage. Aww. But it, and when I got, I went to see my careers master when I was 16, um, Brock Leavers, I remember him. And he, he, he said, um, 
So what we're doing, Stevens, my real name, Stevenson, what we're doing, Stevenson, when we leave school? I said, I, I think I, I'm, I'm going to be an actor, sir. And he said, a what? <laughs> what? What do they do? I said, well, I, I, they act, sir. He said, they act? He said, have you, have you considered taking a career in hairdressing? <laughs> Because you see, mentioning acting and theatre in in a mining town in the East Midlands in the 1960s was not <laughs> a respectable job. It could have been. Anyway, well, the long and short of it was John got me into a college called Clarendon College in Nottingham, and I did a two-year course there before I went to RADA at 18. Wow. So, you know, I often ask people if there was one particular special person who changed their life, and it's got to be that teacher. Oh, it's John Lally, without doubt. Yeah, he was an amazing man. And I, in fact, I've got a picture of him right here in my Aww. office. And, uh, you know, I and there was a very moving moment when I went back to Nottingham for the first time after many, many TV roles and things. And, and I was doing a play at the Nottingham Theatre Royal with the old Vic company. And he came on stage. He wanted to go on stage after the show. And he came on and he... He put his arm around me and he looked at it and he said, I can't believe that you're here, Aww. that you did it. And I'm so proud of you. And, and he, he started crying. Oh, how lovely. And it, yeah, it was a very special man. I loved him. It's amazing that often it is a teacher that is the special person in somebody's life and actually turns their life around. It's, it's happened to my boys, actually. I think there comes a point when parents are no longer useful in terms of information. No, I'm serious. I think it's a teacher that is ne the next step yeah. on in life. Someone who's objective, who sees things. You, 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 lose, you kind of lose your children. You kind of lose what, where they're going. And you probably... Well, I mean, certainly I'm very self-preoccupied. I think that's a problem with our profession, I think. But uh, both my boys have, have found their their tutor, their person that's well, going to move wonderful. them on. But you do find that your kids do kind of come back when they get a little bit older, oh, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. You know. I think they're seven-year cycles, I think. Oh, interesting. I, I'm, I'm sure of it. That's when... Um, yeah, my boys have gone into their seventh cycle at the moment. I don't know where they are. They've spun off into space somewhere. <laughs> I think one of them are running Venezuela soon, I think. <laughs> After you went, you came out of Radar, did you... Yes. Did, did you... Did you know I was Radar? That was I a difficult did. thing because they changed my accent because when I was at Radar, yeah. total like that, you see, from Ilkeston, total like that. And they said, you can't have a career in Shakespeare if you carry on talking like that, you see, Mr. <laughs> Lindsay. So I had, A, to change my name to Lindsay because there was a Stephen, Robert Stevens in the profession. Oh, so yes. I, they changed my name. And then I went back to my small mining town at odd weekends uh, to be fed by my mother because I wasn't eating in London. But I started <laughs> talking like this, you see, because... I was now having elocution lessons and, and speaking terribly, terribly, sounding a little bit like Donald Sindon. And, of course, <laughs> they all thought I was totally insane. <laughs> That's so funny. Which is true. It's really, but it's, it's very true because Lee, you know, you know Lee, you're a great friend. I was at drama school you with were Lee. You were at drama school. But he, he had a, a, a Midlands accent because he's from Warwickshire. Yes. And when see, I met him... I can't him, imagine Lee... Because... No, 
He was so posh. I know. When I, when I met him, I thought he was really posh, but I'm I was probably posher than him. <laughs> Which is quite No, that's not possible. <laughs> really? Now come on, Twigs, let's get real here. <laughs> But I love it because occasionally he'll do his kind of uh, Midlands accent and it's hysterical coming out of his mouth. But you're right, yeah. rather, I don't think they do that anymore, do they? They, they let you keep your region, no, regional accent. Well, life's changed, you know, yeah. it, it, that dialect and accents are cool now. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And quite rightly. Well, aren't I right in thinking that, you know, Shakespeare and all the actors that, f- from his troop must have had regional accents no um, yeah i wonder um well there must be pe- other people from neesden in shakespeare's <laughs> company because it was a london-based theater you see so you see when lee and i lee was in finals when i got to rada and um and of course richard beckinsale was in Aww. these lovely the late and great yeah. richard beckinsale and our he richard was very nottingham Oh, was we'll see. That's interesting. Yeah, but when I got there, you see, both Lee and, and Richard and everything, they'd all lost their accents. And in fact, I sort of vaguely remember talking to Beckinsale when I got there, because we were at the same college in Nottingham together as well. Oh, OK. <clears throat> and he was always two years ahead of me, or a year and a half ahead of me. And I remember him saying, they'll really drum it out of you here. They, You know, they won't accept accents. And it's a curious thing losing your accent because you lose your personality. You don't know it. You still feel the same, but people behave very differently. The people from your background, like your friends that you lost contact with. And, but and my, I lost contact through what happened to me, not from really... Ch- I didn't really change. What happened to me changed me, you know. But it's still a class thing. Yes, It's still absolutely. a thing that, of, of yeah. success and, yeah. and speech. And yes, it's all to do with success yeah exactly I mean you know because when I for within a year of that happening to me I was in New York and and you know people like Sonny and Cher in LA gave me a party and Clint Eastwood threw a party for, I mean it was like insane wow you know I was 17 wow. <laughs> 17 yeah, I know, years they do, old they do live well in New York don't they <laughs> actually that reminds me that's one of the times I saw you do you remember we were in we met in Joe Allen's after me and my girl yeah, that's well. I, well, that's when I saw you because I didn't see the London version. No, I see because yeah, I right. think um, I was on stage in doing my one and only when you were and doing. And do you it. remember who appeared underneath the table when we came to? Was it Joe Allen's? We were having supper at Joe Allen's with my ex partner Di. Yeah, and you and Lee, and we were sitting having dinner in Joe Allen's, and suddenly a hand appeared underneath the table. <laughs> About my crotch height. Was it? And it was Betty Bacall. But I say Betty Bacall because she loved you so much. It was a bit spooky, <laughs> wasn't it? It's a bit spooky. <laughs> but you, I have to say, that performance in Me and My Girl, you were so brilliant. I loved it. I loved it. You got the Tony for that, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I did. And... Um, in fact, funny enough, Sam, my son, only saw the other day the Tony Awards and, and doing the Lambeth Walk oh, in the theatre. Brilliant. And he went, Dad, I didn't know it. I had no idea you were that successful. Oh, my God. You were. That scene where you come in the room and you've been riding a horse 
Oh yeah. I I I think I laughed. I got so hysterical. I could not stop. And the whole theatre, you know, when you it doesn't happen very often, but when the whole theatre just get hysterical with laughter, it was just yeah. so funny. It was brilliant. It was an extraordinary yeah, time. I, I loved every minute of it. You know, Paul Newman tried to get a film made of it. You know. Oh really. Yeah, he used to take me out for, for... I'm dropping names like mad now, but then we're allowed to do well, that I in am our too, industry. Well, I am too, but why not? <laughs> if we know them, um, let's flaunt them. If we know them, absolutely. If you got it, flaunt <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> Actually, funny enough, talking about... I, I've got to mention this, because Lee, Lee asked me about this. What? You know, the other day during lockdown... Oh, yeah. Um, I took the dogs for a walk... And I'm absolutely paranoid about talking to people or getting close to people, especially joggers or cyclists or anything. Yeah. So, But this woman came running towards me. She said, oh, hello, it's you. It's you. Of Oh, you're you're in that. Um, oh, I remember. Oh, you're so good. And what's the programme? And I said, let's keep our distance. She said, no, I've not seen that one. <laughs> I had to mention that because it was That's so silly. so brilliant. That is so brilliant. The, the thing that made you really, really famous in this country was um, Citizen Smith, wasn't it? Oh, Wolfie, yeah, oh, and, and still that is. That was so brilliant. That was so brilliant. It was of its time. But people still remember it, don't they? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, our dinner party, when we had my birthday yeah. party, that's the first thing the restaurateur said. It's it's Wolfie. Wolf is seventieth. <laughs> <laughs> years ago, we you remember the BBC used to have these like entertainment parties. Yeah, <clears throat> and um, it was usually on a Friday night, and it was a huge gathering of Morecambe and Wise, and da da da, and it was fantastic. And and I used to go and. Uh, and there was Ronnie Barker and the two Ronnies and 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 then of course the cast of um, Only Fools and Horses oh, and wow. we were all a little bit worse for wear leaving that evening <laughs> and and I was walking down to the gates at, at what's it called not White Hot uh, Lane Shepherd's Wood Lane Wood, Wood Lane yeah Wood Lane Studios with um, Nick Lindhurst from Only Fools and um, Horses Only Fools and Horses I'm walking towards the gate and we're hailing a cab we're a little bit worse for wear. <laughs> And a cab goes past and shouts out, Plonker! <laughs> and, 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 and then another cab goes past and sees me and goes, Power to the people! <laughs> and Nick Lindhurst looked at me and he said, I wish I had your catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I want to have, Plonker. That's so funny. That's amazing. But that must have changed your life, Citizen Smith, yeah? Oh, it's crazy. It was crazy. Um, I mean, probably had the same impact on me as probably Twiggy did yeah, on you. I'd say you, you, you probably couldn't go anywhere. I mean, I was anywhere. a teen idol. Yeah. For, for, couldn't walk anywhere. I, in fact, I left the series after three series, I think it was, and then I, I, I was so desperate to go back to the theatre, which is what, what I really wanted to do. I didn't never aim to do sitcom after sitcom and certainly not be a cult idol on TV. And... So I went to do plays at the Royal Exchange in Manchester, culminating in Hamlet, which I did there. And uh, I remember going to the theatre one day, a matinee, and there was a guy on a roof, a builder, with a tin hat on. Mm -hmm. And uh, he saw me and he shouted, power to the people. And I 
immediately instinctively put my fist up and replied power to the people back at which point he slid down the tiles of this shop (laughs) with all the tiles rattling into the road he hit the guttering grabbed onto the guttering which snapped (laughs) he hit a shop awning the shop awning gave way under his weight and he walked across the road and asked me for my autograph and I, I remember going to the theatre. I, I was in shock. And a lot of people in Manchester were as well. There was a crowd of people watching this event. I got into the theatre and I said to Bram Murray, Bram, much as I love doing Hamlet, I'm, I'm so proud that you've cast me. And, this and that. I said, but I'm never going to be or escape from Wolfie Smith. And he said, come here. Look out that window. You see the line of people mm-hmm. waiting for tickets? That's what. They're coming to see... And I said, yeah, but they're coming to see Wolfie Smith play Hamlet. He said, it doesn't matter. Yeah. We're full. But also, the the nice part of that story is it probably brought th- people into the theatre who'd never been to the theatre. That's right. And I think that's good. And maybe we'll make them go back when they can. <laughs> it's going to be a while, but... Actually, let's go back. I'm going to ask you something now. And, of course, the first time I ever saw you on stage... Actually, I didn't see the production on Broadway, but my one and only... Mm-hmm. What year was that? I did my one and only from May 1983 until the w- November of 84. So about a year and That's a half. That's right, because we opened in Leicester in 1984. In Me and My Girl. Yeah, yeah. and we ran from 84 to 86 in the Adelphi, and then I went to New York and L.A., leading up to 87. So we were it was almost in conjunction. I know with that's each interesting, other. isn't it? Yeah. But it, with the lovely Tommy oh, Tune. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I met Tommy because he got cast in The Boyfriend, the film I did with Ken Russell, my first film. Which a film I love. Oh, it's very sweet. It's the only kind oh, of Oh, it's sweet adorable. Ken Russell. It's a fantastic film. film. It's a sweet film. But, you know, uh, I I got um Tommy cast because at the time um Ken was trying to cast that it's the role of the American boy and he don't, he wouldn't fly Ken Russell and he said you know I don't know any Americans here and and I I'd, I'd seen Tommy on television in America and I said you've got to see this guy you know he's amazing looking he's one of the best tap dancers I've ever seen he's 6 foot 6 and immediately Ken loved him because he was slightly unusual and um and he he cast him and that's how I met Tommy on The Boyfriend. And then 12 years later, you know, he'd become this really big Broadway um, director. And um, he he rang me and said, because we'd had a project we tried to do after The Boyfriend, another film, and it all fell apart. We couldn't get the money raised. But we kept in touch. And he rang me in like 82 and said, I think I've got our project going. And I said, oh, when do we start filming? And he said, no, it's on. It's, it's going to be on Broadway. And I said, I can't do that. And he said, there's no <laughs> such word as can't. Pack your bags and get out to New York. Oh, I didn't yeah. realise the boyfriend was prior to my one That's how I met me. Tommy. But he's right, actually, because I, the thought of going on a Broadway stage put the fear of God into me. You won the Tony, didn't no, you? No, I was nominated, but I didn't win. He won for it. Did we didn't win best musical? He won for best actor. And Honey Coles, our wonderful uh, older 
tap dancer who was one of the greatest tap dancers ever. He yeah, won best supporting. And um, I, I lost out to a beautiful actress. Well, she was a ballet dancer, actually, in On Your Toes. Um, I can't remember her name. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, Na- yeah, yeah. Natalia yeah, Marik- um, Marikova or something like that. Marikova. Yeah. I mean, she was brilliant. Absolutely mm. brilliant. And what was that Broadway experience like for you? I oh, mean, it was a huge success. Unbelievable. I knew, you know, it's incredible, wasn't unbelievable. it? Unbelievable. But you know that feeling. It's like when you're in a hit show on Broadway, the whole town envelops you, don't they? I mean, with love. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, the, everyone knows you. You go into restaurants. Everyone comes up and talks to you. You know. Did you have the gypsy robe ceremony? What's that? On the first night. You probably didn't go to it or you probably weren't aware of it, but every show that opens on Broadway, uh-huh. a coat of all the shows, with all the shows, memorabilia of posters or whatever, is passed to the new show that's opening on Broadway. Wow. It's called the Gypsy Robe Ceremony because we're all gypsies. And, um, yeah, I remember going to it. It was very moving because the show that handed it us to, to us was a show called Lipstick which I think was a Stephen Schwartz show, which closed after a few nights and um, or weeks. Yeah. And that's the other thing about Broadway, which you can't explain to anyone, because I went to an opening night after we'd opened, which was extraordinary. I mean, it was a huge success. Oh, uh, I, know, I, I never know. unpacked until I saw the reviews. <laughs> No, I I was convinced I was going home. (laughs) But I went to a first night, which our director, Mike Ockrent, of Me and My Girl had done. And uh, it was Rowan Atkinson's uh, show that he'd done, and which Stephen Fry was in. And we were all at the party afterwards. I came and joined them at the party after the show. And uh, there was Rowan and Mike and um, Stephen, and we're all having glasses of champagne. and, And then in the corner of the room, this... PR lady appeared with a copy of the New York Times and did that signal across her neck, which meant that the review from Frank Rich had been appalling. And Rowan never went on again. That's right. They closed the show, didn't they? He closed it. They closed it that night. Yeah, that that happened to another uh, actor friend of Lee's who I didn't know. And they, they, they actually closed the bar. The people were in the middle of pouring champagne no. and they closed the bar and bought the, you know, those metal things in. <laughs> And they all, yeah, they don't mess around And in they New were York. all on the plane home the next day. Wow. That was a drama. I don't know what the play was, but no, they were. Well, thank God. I mean, Frank Rich, I know, loved you and he loved me. So <laughs> we were lucky. We, we were lucky, oh, babe. Gosh. I bought an experience, though. Unbelievable. An experience. It was one of the, professionally, it was one of the most amazing experiences. Mainly because I didn't think I could do it. Do you know what I mean? Because I'd never done yeah, that before. I, well, I, me too. I felt the same. I mean, I've never danced in my life, you know, and I, I had a crash course in tap dancing. And, um, but you were brilliant and all the songs. Well, yeah, and there's something I'm, about just... doing a musical, isn't it? It's amazing because the uplift, the orchestra. I never, ever tired of doing it. Mm. Mind you, that doesn't apply now. I get very bored very quickly. Oh, do but, you? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a, yeah. Once the first night's over, I want to do something else. <laughs> I've done it, done that, been, been there, done, done that. that. One. Let's get that out of the way. But uh, see, we had the, the the really weird thing of of introducing the Cockney accent to the uh, the New York oh, yes. Manhattanites. My opening uh, 
rehearsal with a guy called Stanley Lebowski, <laughs> who was the musical director. And he said, Bob, what are we going to do? What? I said, well, do me and my girl, okay? And uh, we said, no, it's Bob. It's me and my girl. And, uh, you know, I said, no, no, no. We sing it, me and my girl. It's all very London yeah. and very... And, th- and then he said, well, what's this Hovis? I said, well, it's brown bread, Stanley. He said, well, what? I don't get it. What does it mean? I said, well, my parents are Ovis, mate. means they're dead. <laughs> well, how can Ovis mean they're dead? No, no, no. Brown bread is dead. So, and, I, and Hovis is a brown bread in England. <laughs> right. Okay. Bob, why don't we change it to whole wheat or rye? <laughs> I said, well, Stanley, that's not going to rhyme, is it? <laughs> he said, well, neither does Hovis. <laughs> I said, oh, forget oh, it. That, it was crazy. That is hysterical. But they, they loved it. I mean, I, I mean, you know. Can you believe it? I know. I know. It was and the weird thing was, though, when we were in L.A., we were at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion, that huge, oh where the Oscars yeah. are held, you know, that, that huge amphitheatre of a... And, and of course, in L.A., of course, if you're seen after nine o'clock, it means you're not working. So, <laughs> it, you know, so it didn't do terribly well. And the press were very lukewarm about it. And that, but one of the chorus boys, who was the barrier, was a brilliant dancer, came up to me and he said, you wait till we get to New York. It's a whole different yeah. ballgame. LA is not, not a theatre town, really. No, it it's really, certainly not. It really isn't. <laughs> We've had friends who live there, you know, and if they were, in a, if they were doing a, a, a stage play, if a call came through about a TV series, or, they just left. They left the play. Like, <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. It's, it's just not. Did, did you, you never lived in LA, did you? I did, oh, yeah. You did? I did. When? Um, I, I found it very weird. I did. I When I did Me and My Girl, I got involved with a man called Carl Reiner. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. And Mel Brooks. And, um, but as I said earlier, Paul Newman was desperate to get a movie on its feet of Me and mm-hmm. My Girl. And he kept taking us out for dinner and, and, um, uh, showing us footage he'd got of Lupino Lane and the play and, uh, saying he got some screenwriters and he can get some finance and and um, and he and then he'd spoken to Spielberg and I think oh my god, <laughs> but that was all t- intervened by Rob Reiner and uh, Carl Reiner sorry and and um, Mel Brooks who came in and and persuaded me to do a movie which unfortunately I have great fond memories of but it didn't kind of happen. Um, and it was a dance film, and it was about a mining town in the East Midlands. It was sort of biographical in many ways, but it was a disaster. In fact, I remember the first English review, Barry Norman, and it said, Robert Lindsay's wonderful, but is run over by his own vehicle. <laughs> oh, dear. That's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I've got a better one. The boyfriend, Donald's, I think it was Donald Zeck. Do you remember him, the critic? Yeah, yeah. He said... said Twiggy looks like chewed up chicken legs that have been posted through a letterbox. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what it means. But isn't it interesting how you remember the horrible things written? And you don't remember the nice things. That's the crazy thing thing about our thing. My wife's constantly saying to me, why are you always looking on the dark side? You always pick on the bad review. But you you remember the the bad ones. That's why. I know, I know. I know when I did Hamlet, um, which was 
very review quite well but the only weird review I got was Time Out when we did it in London we came to London with it and and they didn't mention my name why I was playing Hamlet they didn't mention my name they didn't mention Hamlet they mentioned Rosencrantz and Guildenstern (laughs) and Claudius and I kept looking for the review I kept I'm not in it. That is so funny. That is hysterical. <laughs> that, how can they do that? They did it. But you, you, you did. You've done quite a lot of Shakespeare, weren't you? With the, didn't you join the Shakespeare Company in in Stratford for a little bit? I did. Yeah. I did a lot of those BBC ones that they did, which they call the Creaky Floorboard Productions <laughs> that Cedric Messina did for the BBC. And then I did Olivier's Alia that that um, at Granada, which was. Um, was that an amazing experience? Well, it was because he was on his last legs and he was very poorly. Oh. And for, uh, I think, about three weeks of the rehearsal period, he didn't turn up. And we had an understudy, a young boy from Brighton, who came up to read while you had this extraordinary cast of Diana Rigg, Dorothy Tutin, wow. John Hurt, uh, Ilya McKern, Colin Blakely, David Threlfall, me. You know, it, oh, it was an incredible cast. And Threlfall and I were always doing Olivier impersonations. <laughs> we, we, we were so excited to be working with the great man. And I know one day when he'd not been there, Threlfall and I were doing Richard the Third. Now is the winter of our discontent, made glorious summer by this son of your... And he walked in, he was standing behind us while we were doing it. <laughs> did he say anything? No, he did, but then he cut our sword fight. We had a huge sword fight, which he came to view, and he deliberately cut it. He said it was too long. Too, it's too long. <laughs> but I tell you a story. I must tell you a Larry Olivier story. When we were filming it, you know that, remember that big rehearse, uh, the makeup room at Granada Studios? Yeah. It was vast, and everyone used to be in there. Coronation Street, and whatever chat show was there, and, and it was packed with, and all the Lear actors, King Lear, were all in there wigs and and beards and stuff and larry who had his throne he had a throne that he sat on for his makeup (laughs) was told that annie walker from coronation street was sitting on the other side of the makeup room so he went over with his crown (laughs) walked all the way down and looked into her mirror and he said my darling girl on behalf of the entire theatrical community i'd like to say we just welcome you and your performance. It has given such spirit and warmth to the entire generation of people. And you, my darling girl, deserve every honour and accolade you can receive. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And went back to his That's seat, brilliant. sat on his throne. And Annie Walker looked in the mirror and makeup girl and said, Who's that? <laughs> That's an amazing story. It's absolutely true. Oh, my goodness. Wow, what an experience. I never worked with him, but when we were going to open in My One and Only, um, you know, the producer said, uh, you know, do you want... You know, do you know some famous people we can invite to the first night? And um, oh, wow. and I didn't know Olivier, but somebody said, what about Laurence Olivier? So they invited him and Joan... And they accepted. They were the first acceptance that we got. Wow. And, I mean, how about that for nerves, knowing you're going out and Laurence Olivier's... On the first <laughs> on night. The first night. But he was so gorgeous. And we we had um, we had dinner. We sat at the dinner table with them because they were like the star 
guess, really. And then he wrote me the most beautiful note that I treasure, obviously. He was yeah, such me too. a. I've got a little. I've got a little poster of no, uh, letters from him, from me and my girl, because he came to see me and my girl, and in fact, he used to give me business because he loved shtick, vaudevillian. He, he was an old vaudevillian, was, really. really. Yeah. Was, you know, he loved all that stuff. But as again, he was he was he was much older when I met him. But he was just so charming and so lovely. Twigs, were your parents alive when you did My One and Only? They were, but sadly, and I'll, it's one of the things I really, really regret I didn't do something about. My mum, who I loved and adored, but she, she kind of had a nerve problem. She wasn't very well a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And she didn't like to travel. So she right. refused point blank to come to New York. My dad really wanted to come and and he was he was the musician in the family he was the talented one he could paint he played he played by ear he didn't couldn't read music but wow. and i grew up cuz he loved all the big bands so at home i grew up you know listening to um all the big bands from the 40s and and 30s and um so i think i got that musicality from my dad and he could play saxophone he could play piano and he would have loved to have come, but he wouldn't leave my mum. And what I mm. wish I'd have done, I should have got one sister to go, and, because I've got two elder sisters, and we were trying to work out how we could get dad across the Atlantic. <laughs> um, I should have got one of them to bring him over and the other one to stay with mum. You know, just take him to the airport, put him on the plane and not say mm-hmm. anything. Because he would, I really regret that he didn't see it because he would have loved it. But, well, of course, you did a, a raw variety performance of it, didn't you? Yeah, we did, and, and Mum and Dad came to that. He saw the water, so the water he did dance, see. Yeah, but it was sad that he didn't see the show. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you talk about people famous. I used to get very nervous when my Mum and Dad came. Oh. I don't know why, um, but I, I remember my Dad came to my Mum came to the opening night in London of me and my girl, and then um, when we came to the curtain call, Frank Thornton and Emma pushed me forward because it was a kind of community curtain call and they pushed me forward and the whole audience stood up. It was the very first standing ovation Aww. I've ever received. But sitting in the middle, sitting down, was my dad. <laughs> Couldn't stand up. I could stand up, but didn't stand up. And I said to him afterwards when we got to the little after-show party, I said, Dad, you were the only person <laughs> sitting down. He said, I paid for this bloody seat. I'm sitting in it. <laughs> But they came, my mum and dad came to New York probably about the third or fourth week. I got them over because they'd never flown. They'd never flown ever. And so New York was the first time and I got them a first class ticket through the, through the company. So you could imagine, you know, they thought that's what flights were. (laughs) (laughs) But they, they stayed in a hotel very near where I was staying and, and they found a purse in the middle of 43rd Street, a purse full of money. Oh, my gosh. And they took it to the local precinct, and the, which was full of hookers and yeah. drug dealers yeah. and God knows what. And the desk sergeant said, what? And they said, we, we found this purse. And they said, you did what? What are you doing here? He <laughs> said, well, we're, we're handing it back. And then he called, the copper called every, all these people, all these other 
coppers to have come and he said, look at these people, they're English, they're weird from, from space. <laughs> anyway, believe it or not, they found the lady. Oh, my goodness. Who'd lost the purse. Oh, that's such a lovely story. I know. Yeah, because actually in that period, uh, we were talking about when I did my show and you did um, Me and My Gal, that area of 42nd Street and all was very dodgy. Oh, my God. I can remember it the was. producers. We were on 40, West 46th Street, St. James's, um, and they told us, you do, not go, you do not go to 42nd Street. I don't think we were allowed to go lower than 44th Street, I think. That's right. Because it was yeah. so dodgy and so dangerous. And now it's, it's you know... But it's like Disneyland I'd say it's Disneyland. Now. It's all the Disney. They, they certainly cleaned that up. Well, it's not at the moment, of course. It's completely deserted. It must be weird in New York through this. Well, we have cocktail parties on a Saturday night with all the cast of me and my girl, or most of the cast of me and my girl. And you forget what the Manhattanites' uh, life is like when they're living on floor 20th of a one-bedroomed apartment with dogs. You know, how they cope. You know, there's us with our gardens and our... I know. It's a tough life. It is tough, and I think it's really hit New York really hard. If well, it yeah, would yeah. do with that man who's running their country. Well, quite right, but but let's not. No, go I don't there. think we can go there. It might... No, there's too many. I've, I've I've downloaded all the White House briefings. You know, I've, Have as you? a box set. Yeah, I think that it's the comedy gold. I think <laughs> I'm going to release them on box set. That's hysterical. <laughs> Now the other brilliant thing that's happening, and we've got to talk about it, is they're 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 rerunning my family, which is brilliant. I watched one last night. Well, we did, Lee and I. Absolutely brilliant. It's so funny. I I'd forgotten how funny it was. Well, you know, Fred, I mean, Fred Barron, who's a mutual friend, as you know, um, he's what I think he's one of the great comedy writers. Well, he started that system of show running, yeah. you know, where you, you have a team of writers, which the BBC I'd never really approved of. And, of course, the critics had a go at it because of that as well. I mean, they like But it was so... How long did it script. run? It was so successful. Nine years. Oh, so they didn't know what they were talking about, did they? You know what I'm talking about. It's the most <laughs> popular... Yeah. I mean, it, it won every sort of popular award. Um, you know, we didn't care. I mean, I did it. It was really curious because I'd separated from my ex. I was going through terrible times, missing my daughter. and I knew I was going to try and patch that up. My mother died. My son was born with Rosie, Sam. That was Christmas 1999. And then Fred wanted me to do my family. And it was like it was like a really healing time. It, because it was exactly what yeah. I needed. It was a job just around the corner. It was at Pinewood Studios. Perfect. It was working with my old friend Zoe. I love Chris Marshall. I love the gang. It was, and I love Fred. We had, and I just, it was like a healing time. It was perfect. Yeah, he's a good guy, Fred. And we watched it the other night with the boys, and we're all howling. We were watching one, as I say, last night. It was hysterical. There was some amazing, like you, your double takes are the best. You're the best double taker in the world. <laughs> it was the. Can you do double takes on podcast? Oh, you can do it for me. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, brilliant. No, there was. It was the one about your younger son is being bullied, and and Zoe invites oh, God, the parents yes. over, and they're like really nerdy. 
And you did such a brilliant double take. Le- I hit them with the newspaper. You did. You start beating them up. But before that, you did such the best double take. We were, we were on My the My favourite one was, which, you know, I, I didn't see the first series at all. I, I never really had a, an inclination to watch it. I didn't, you know, but re-watching it now or re-seeing it or seeing it for the first time, it, it really makes me laugh. There was a scene last week where Zoe and I are kissing in bed which my boys never recovered from. <laughs> they used to see me in, in bed with Zoe. Couldn't quite work when they were young. Um, uh, and I'm kissing Zoe. And then suddenly I removed my mouth from hers and said, you've been seeing another dentist. <laughs> upper molar left. Upper molar left. <laughs> That's <laughs> just brilliant. Just the silliest joke. So funny. But, you know, when we were living in LA in the early 90s, Fred Barron, who wrote My Family, you know. but He adores you. Oh, I love it. I love him so much. But we became friends. I forget how we met, actually. But um, anyway, we... Because he he'd be doing Seinfeld yeah, and oh, Frazier yeah, at that he time, was, wouldn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was, he was huge. He had huge successes. And yeah. Caroline in the City. And anyway, we all lived in Hancock Park, which is a kind of old part of LA. It's, it's rather lovely. And, um, and there's a kind of little high street there. Well, it's not a high street, but it's a it's an area with cafes and restaurants. And you know what Fred looks like? He's got like mad curly hair, and he always dresses uh, uh, down dresses in kind of old yeah, t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. And he was um, he'd <laughs> he'd gone in and got himself a coffee in one of the coffee shops, and he was sitting outside because you know it was lovely weather. And he drank most of his cup coffee in that you know those little funny cups and he was sitting there he said I was I was in the middle of writing something and I I was trying to think of what to say and he said I was sitting with the cup in my hand kind of on my lap and some guy walked by and put a dollar in he thought he, he, thought he was begging because he. Oh, so he said, I, "I said to my wife, I think I better go out and get some new clothes." <laughs> So you were telling me about this um, play reading you're doing on Zoom. Explain, explain, explain. Well, it's the new thing, isn't it, at the moment? And it, the one I'm doing tomorrow on Zoom is called Lockdown Theatre. And it's, a, it's with a lot of mutual friends, I have to say. Um, uh, and it's a play written by, actually, strangely enough, written by a chap who was one of the writers on my family. Oh, <laughs> a chap called James Hendry, who uh, co-wrote the very first episode, actually. Uh, isn't that strange? Mm. Anyway, he's written this thing called Events and Moments, and we're recording it on Sunday, that's tomorrow, at 2pm on Zoom. Uh, and it's building up quite an audience. But it's I just watched my American friends do one called the Apple Tree Productions or Apple Production, which is brilliant. And it's just four actors on the screen like we're doing now on this this particular image. And it works really well. Maybe this is the new way forward. For the moment, certainly, until, you know, they sort yeah. something out. <laughs> but the lockdown, I think, is affecting everyone. And our industry probably will suffer more than anyone, I think, because eventually people will go back to their offices. Mm-hmm. They will go back to their building sites and they will go back to... But I can't see anyone going into a cinema or theatre for quite no. some time now. What about TV, do you think? 
I mean, people have got their TVs at home, but how can they? How can actors kind of interact with each other without? I mean, you can't do love well, scenes for a while. Maybe this is what we're doing now. Mm. Maybe it's this is the new way for the moment. Um, yeah, I mean, be no snogging. No, no Game of Thrones or anything like that for a while, were they, darling? No. All that nudity and no. Anyway, I'm just digressing. But you're coping all right. Yeah, we are actually. We've done a lot of, um, as you can see, see the bookshelf behind me. Yeah. Lee spent four days sorting that out, and um, he didn't. I thought for one horrible minute you were going to say he built the bookshelves. <laughs> no. Lee can do lots of things. I would have been so upset no, if I knew he, he built the bookshelves. He can do lots of things, but he always says that if he puts a shelf up, it falls down the next day. <laughs> he can't. No, I know Lee of old. We go back a very long I way. Know I know. I When I first bought my first house in Chiswick uh-huh. in London, my brother came down, who's a builder. He, he builds houses. I mean, he's extraordinary. And he's a master carpenter. Mm. And he plastered a wall and it looked beautiful. It was amazing. It was perfection. And on the day he finished it, I wanted to hang my first picture from my first play that I'd ever done. And I put a little tack into the plaster and hit the only cable and water pipe, (laughs) which then all the plaster decided to... We stood there a bit like Laurel and Hardy looking at this as this plaster dissolved. And my brother said, look, I'll do the building. Why don't you stick to acting? <laughs> well, that's that's a bit like Lee as well. So, no, he didn't yeah. build the bookshelves, but he did sort them out. Look how tidy they are. Yeah, they are. Um, that's very tidy. Yeah, three days that took. And but are you the kind of person that will retidy it because it's in the wrong place? No, no, no it looks not. fabulous. No, he's he's tidier than me. I wish I could say that, but my, my, my I will tidy everything and my wife will retidy it. <laughs> so it goes on and on. And I've been knitting and I've been, because I love knitting and I've been doing jigsaws and lots of yep. reading. I, I'm, I'm quite enjoying it. My heart, the hardest thing for me and for Lee, I think, is not seeing our kids and grandkids. Oh, so you've got be... you've got your boys at home, which I got my boys here. My daughter comes up now and again and sits in the garden. I say she can't come in. Well, she's not been in. No, um, I mean that would be lovely, but we, we, she sits in the garden and let, with the dogs hug her to bits, Aww. and then we uh, and she won't even take a cup of tea or anything while mm. she's here. She won't share anything. Mm. Um, and that's and I'm going down to see her on Monday. Probably spend a little bit of time in her garden. Just, just you know, six feet that, apart. That, it's very weird, yeah, isn't it? That's the hard. I haven't seen, uh, you know, my daughter and my grandchildren, who I really miss. Uh, but we're growing vegetables, twigs. Well, I'm very impressed. Like you told me, you built, built a greenhouse, so you well, can't build that. My bed. wife did, but we got a. It, but how can you? Can you believe this? We had a greenhouse delivered as a flat pack. <laughs> You know, I thought the greenhouse was going to arrive on a truck already built. It was a flat pack. That's hysterical. It had 7,427 pieces. Oh, I'd be good at that because I love jigsaws. (laughs) There, oh God, you should... (laughs) If you'd seen uh, me and the two boys and Rosie and three dogs trying to erect it in the garden... That's so funny. There was a sitcom just around the erection of that greenhouse. (laughs) And do do you do... Do you go out and applaud on... 
Thursday nights in your garden? Every Thursday night. And, of course, we have Granny. We have Rosie's mother here living with us as well. So she's in her late 80s, so we have to be really careful. Oh, yes. And respectful of her age and, and, and mine. Actually, what am I talking about? Me and Lee have reached the vulnerable state. Well, actually, well we me have. as well, yeah. Yeah, you too, babe. But, you know, know, we're lucky we're kind of healthy or as healthy as we can be. We can be. But we have to be careful. Yeah, so we go out in the street and clap. And, and does the um, whole of the village come out? The whole village comes out and usually gathers up on the green, you know. But I, the, the thing, I get very political about this and get a bit angry about this whole thing. I mean, much as I think it's very honourable and lovely... And I love Major Tom or Captain Tom or Colonel Tom as he is yeah. now that in fact, he walks around his garden a hundred times to raise money for the NHS. And in fact, what I'm doing tomorrow is funds for the NHS. But, you know, I just keep saying to myself, why didn't they have the bloody funds in uh, the first place? Exactly. Why are they struggling with their PPE and their, you know, their personal protection stuff? Yeah. And, you know, it's just nonsense. And that you, we all know that they were trying to close the National Service for years. They've been trying to privatise it and stuff. And now they're suddenly, you know, yeah. they're all standing outside their government buildings. Yeah, I know. And you think, no. That's well, hopefully it'll make them rethink all the other stuff because I think that oh, they darling, are. They, I, hope they so. are I don't think so. They are, I think you don't we'll think all go so. back to the way we were and they'll all try and get their money you know, out of it. I mean, the hospital that I support, when my home is where I was born, in Ilkeston and Derbyshire. I mean, it was only two years ago they were closing the place mm. and the nurses were all ringing me. Some of them had been made redundant and they were pleading with me to promote it on Twitter and social media and mention it. And now they're heroes yeah. because they've no, all been brought back to work. I know. And they're all underpaid. I mean, I think they should all have an immediate rise. Yeah, it, was only, it was only us that said to them, stop their parking fees. They were paying parking. Unbelievable. Until we ever started moaning about it. I know. Anyway, but they, they are the real over. heroes, and you know their their the, the bravery takes my breath away. The young nurses uh, and doctors. I, yeah, <sighs> I mean, I I don't know, and yet you know, my brother was very very ill, and seriously ill with COVID, and um, in fact, it was us that rang him and said you must ring nine 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 or one 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 now. He said, no, I daren't. I, I don't want to be taken into hospital. They turned up within 10 minutes, wow. two paramedics, and immediately made him sit up because he'd been lying. He was abs- He really was on his last really? knees, oh I have to say. God. And the first thing they did was made him sit up and they said, don't lie down because that's the, yep. you're allowing them. Anyway, they got him through it without taking him in. His temperature was literally one degree under the necessary oh so he um, was able to stay at home he stayed wow. he carried on staying and is yeah. he fine now? and the only conditions that his wife and children got were they lost their sense of taste and smell oh, that's right. so they had very mild conditions he got it very very seriously Do, does he know where he caught it no i don't think he does i think that's the problem yeah that's why it's so scary you don't know do you no mm. well let's stay safe darling yeah stay safe i hope the play reading goes brilliantly tomorrow, yes, thank as I'm you. sure when, it will. When we get in another period of our... We'll all get back yeah, and have a hug together Yeah, have a again. big, proper hug. OK, love to you, and thank you for talking to me. I've enjoyed it. Wasn't it fun? Brilliant. Yeah. Thanks, sweetie. Talk to you soon. All my love. Lots of love. Bye. Oh, that was brilliant catching up with Bob. 
He really makes me laugh. I've known him for quite a few years now and he always gets me dissolving in giggles. He's absolutely brilliant. And I'm very glad his brother has recovered well. If you've enjoyed listening to Tea with Twiggy, please take a moment to give us a lovely five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people to find the show. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast so you automatically get the next episodes for free. And do tell all your friends and family about it too. If you want to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Twiggy or you can find me on Instagram at Twiggy Lawson. My thanks go to all the people that have helped this podcast happen. Many thanks to James Carroll and all the team at North Bank Talent Management. Thanks to all the team at Stripped Media, including Ben Williams, who edits the show, my producer, Kobe Omanaka, and executive producers, Tom Wally and Dave Corkery. The music you can hear now is my version of Waterloo Sunset by The Kinks. If you'd like to hear the whole song, you can find it and all the other songs I've recorded on iTunes and Spotify. So check it out. I look forward to you joining me for my next episode. So see you then. Bye. Bye.